today on Ag News Daily. There's been some decrease, but Texas still leads the country in terms of tornado counts. So don't worry, you're still number one when it comes to that. <laughs> What's going on here is that we're seeing just more an increased frequency on the Mississippi River Valley. Welcome back, listeners, to another great episode for you of the latest in agricultural news. Before we get started with grasshopper mowers, nothing gets in the way of hashtag mow day, Delaney. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. How you doing? I'm good, Tanner. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning. I was giving my neighbor a hard time. He was mowing last night before this rain came through. <laughs> and it looked like all he was doing was getting the brown grass out of the way, but Everything looks very fresh and green, and now I'm envious this morning. Oh, he like probably got it cut just in time, so the dead stuff got out of the way for the nice grass that was growing underneath. Yeah, I am definitely jealous, and my wife, in true wife fashion, was basically uh, verbally jabbing me in the ribs all morning, saying, <laughs> see, see, but more power to him. No kidding. Way to get out there and... Get it done. Absolutely. He took Mo Day for the actual reason that it was. That's true. He Day certainly did. Well, enough of that. That's not what the listeners are here for. What kind of news do you have for us today? Well, I was continuing to watch some of this news coming out of Istanbul because, of course, we've seen Russia and China, or excuse me, Russia and Ukraine continue to have discussions. And it seems like they went fairly well or have been going fairly well. Moscow's lead negotiator said their their decision to scale back their offensive in northern Ukraine does not represent a ceasefire and stressed the two sides still have a long way to go to reach any formal peace agreement. But this is kind of the biggest sign of some progress made in any of the rounds of talks now that we do have somewhat of a pullback in northern Ukraine. But we are continuing to see, Tanner, a lot of European countries and other countries expelling Russian diplomats over allegations of being a spy. Uh, Belgium, Netherlands, the Czech Republic, Poland, a lot have been kicking out Russian diplomats, which I find very interesting. That is. I did see a headline, didn't actually click in the article yesterday, about uh, how the United States government was uh, definitely accusing Russian soldiers of creating war crimes or participating in war crimes. And uh, it just seems that there's not a lot on their side. So maybe there's more to these peace talks than just the pressure and pushback from Ukraine. Then maybe they're starting to actually feel the pressure from the rest of the world. And that certainly could be the case. Um, I would say largely the equities and stocks market reacted very positively to that news that there are continued constructive talks. Grains, on the other hand, are continuing to liquidate as, you know, we're still trying to kind of get our footing here on what's actually going to be planted in that area. Uh, So a little bit of a mixed basket for commodities. Yeah. So early Wednesday morning, there, the, Commission Vice President of Agriculture, Vladis, the gentleman we couldn't pronounce yesterday and still can't pronounce today, um, was out on public record saying that Russia appears to deliberately be targeting and destroying Ukraine's food stocks, food storages, and food growing areas. So he's stating that um, Russia is deliberate, deliberately taking on the Ukraine farmers. So he's He's super concerned about planted acres. He's expecting them to be cut in half due to the war. He said farmers in Ukraine may only plant about 7 million hectares this year. 
compared to the 15 million uh, in the year prior to the Russian invasion. And then he also hinted that farmers that planted their winter wheat may only get to harvest about two thirds of that because of the actions that they've been taking. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays into these talks as well, because that seemed kind of like a shot fired really early this morning. It certainly does. And the big thing that we're continuing to watch is not only what's coming out of the fields there, but what's potentially not going to be able to come out of the fields here in the United States, because the Western U.S. is still suffering from one of the driest years in history, especially California, Southern Oregon, Nevada, and Arizona. And I understand they don't produce a ton of wheat, corn, soybeans, but they are continuing to suffer one of the driest starts to any year since 1893. And Tanner, I get Eric Snodgrass's morning weather updates, so I like to look through those pretty much every day. But a lot of other sectors uh, within the United States are continuing to have some of the driest years, maybe not the driest year since 1893, but particularly dry still in the western portion of the United States, starting to creep into northwest Iowa and uh, could see it continue to be hot and dry this planting season heading into the summer. But Eric also said that there's really high risk of wildfires again this year, as well as here over about the next seven days, some pretty strong winds that could creep into portions of Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, all the way up into parts of Nebraska and Kansas. So could see a lot of adverse weather here over about the next week or so. That's not good news for anybody. I, I think we could speak for all listeners that if we can avoid the extremes, we're happier. If it ends up being dry or ends up being wet, that's fine. Um, but we don't need the damage that comes along with the storms to deliver that. No, certainly we don't. And we've continued to see that year in and year out, uh, not using the D word, the derecho word for these storms, but certainly expected to be pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, that's not that is not good news. And in my opinion, this the next news I have is a mix of good and uh, could potentially be bad. But the U.S. waterborne diesel exports, according to Pro Farmer, have increased to over 1.04 million barrels per day this month. So, according to Vortexa, the oil analytics firm, the current diesel exports are on pace for their highest level since August of 2019. But what this is doing is this is now reducing the U.S. diesel stocks to their lowest seasonally adjusted levels in eight years. So even though this is only the highest export level in the last three years, now we have stocks down to the lowest level in eight. And that's that makes me nervous, Delaney. And I, I know, and there's a lot of things going on globally, that we have to make decisions. And these last diesel cargoes went from New York to Europe. And then uh, the one before that went to Latin America. So two other places in the world that usually rely on Russian diesel are now purchasing American, which that's great. Exporting will take the money, but uh, makes me nervous on the stocks and what we're going to see for our own prices here for fuel in the United States. Well, it's interesting too, you know, from a market perspective, we'd, we've seen crude oil have really volatile trading days, you know, up $6 one day, down $6 the next really wide trading ranges, which I think are reflective of this type of news, Tanner. There's a lot of uncertainty. And if we continue to 
participate in filling the void for what is normally coming out of Ukraine and Russia, uh, it's only going to make our stocks tighter, which as long as we can take care and plan for that and it doesn't interrupt our supply chain could be rewarding for our farmer listeners. Certainly that is the case, Tanner. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of regretting buying a a truck now because every time I go to the fuel pump, it's (laughs) almost a hundred dollars to fill it up. Yep. I had seen a couple of Snapchats from uh, people that had traveled in and out of California. So just be thankful though, that you don't have California fuel prices. That's true. That is very true. It would be worse there. And actually, speaking of California, this is a good segue into uh, one of my last pieces of news. But the Supreme Court on Monday has agreed to hear the case brought by or brought against California's Prop 12 by the National Pork Producer Council and American Farm Bureau. Of course, this law went in effect as of January 1st, which bans the sale of pork from hogs that fail to meet the state's new production standards which largely are just no confinement uh, hog settings. But we've seen this be in the news quite a bit over the past year. And we have finally received word that the Supreme Court is taking this thing up. So this is really kind of the final venue or avenue, I should say, that ag groups have to try and get this thing thrown out. Yeah, it, I'm looking forward to the opportunity here. I get to participate in one of my first interview guest interviews uh, as host of Ag News Daily with Ashton. And we're going to learn more about what that means um, from the National Pork Council. So uh, it'll be fun to dive deeper into this. And it, it, this has been a, a nice news episode, Delaney, to tease two further discussions, because I think we also get to learn more about uh, what the weather looks like and uh, conversation with Eric. But it, I'm glad that the courts have decided to at least hear it. Uh, I'm not optimistic personally. But I'm looking forward to this conversation to see if they feel like they're optimistic as to if our voices and reasonings will actually be heard. Absolutely. I'll be eager to hear that uh, conversation as well, Tanner. Well, I don't have much else for news today, Delaney. What, uh, What did the markets do overnight? Well, as I mentioned, you know, we certainly saw markets reacting yesterday to the potential ceasefire peace talks going on in Russia, Ukraine. So we continue to kind of see the bears win yesterday, pushing grains to new multi-week lows Tuesday. And as we're heading into the opening session, actually markets are seeming to find their footing this morning and uh, trading in the green as we head into the opening here. So we'll continue to see how that closes. But of course, markets are really still just focusing on tomorrow's acreage report to see what kind of numbers we get from the USDA. Yeah, that looks exactly what I had picked up here. Green all across the board. Uh, But let's take a pause right here, Delaney, for a message from this week's sponsor. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there, on that grasshopper mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mo Day and grasshopper mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Just like they said, it's hashtag Moday, Delaney. Why don't we jump into our conversation for today?
Today we are talking weather with Eric Snodgrass. You know him, you love him. He's like our in-house weather guy. So Eric, we certainly appreciate you coming back on the podcast once again to talk weather with us. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. So we kind of went over what we want to talk about, and we really wanted to kick things off here in South America. There's been a lot going on. You know, Brazil is gearing up with their second corn crop. So why don't you give us your South American spiel to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So, you know, earlier in the year, the first crop of soybeans was hit really hard by drought in southern Brazil, Paraguay, Argentina. And uh, that whole pattern broke in mid-March, and it went over very wet in the south. So the beginning of the season was super dry south, and now it's been very wet. But still, it peeled back the total soybean production by maybe upwards of 25 million metric ton. But the maps you're looking at here kind of show the way things have shaped up on the safrina crop or the second crop. It's worth about 3.1 billion bushels or maybe about 112 million metric ton of corn. And most of it, as you can see from the embedded map, is grown in the state of Mato Grosso and surrounding states. But what's happened is, is that over the last month or so, we've seen pretty substantial drought that's developed in Brazil's eastern growing areas like Goiás or getting over here toward Minas Gerais or parts of Bahia and even parts of uh, Tocantins, which is to the north. And what the problem is right now in the forecast is that area is expected over the next 15 days to continue to stay relatively dry. So I would estimate that there's probably about 20% of the crop that's going to be dealing with moisture shortage going through um, the middle part of April. And that's critical. That's that's going basically through pollination for a lot of this crop. While it's been extremely wet to the south, and that's been problematic too, because they do grow a lot of safrina crop down there, especially in Paraná, that'd be this state right here. But there's been so much wet weather and there's so much more forecast that it's one of those situations where they've not been able to get as much field work done or make the progress that they wanted to make. So South America continues to give us kind of uh, issues, I think, globally here with respect to um, total production of both soybeans and corn uh, as we try to finish up their season and get ours started. Well, talking about getting ours started, let's bring things back domestically here and kind of talk about the short term as planting season is just almost upon many producers out there in the heartland. So why don't you talk to us a little bit more about what is to come this week? Sure. So we've got some issues here, and that is the biggest issues are there's some people that have got way too much, and there's some people that don't have enough. And I'm talking about moisture. And just today here, while we're recording on Tuesday, you know, we've got a large area across the southern United States is going to be seeing severe winds. We've got red flag warnings. That's, of course, for fires. That's down here in parts of Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas. And there's also high wind warnings because we have yet another big low pressure system that's coming right in the midsection of the United States. By the way, yesterday, this one went through California, and that was the first time California had seen some moisture in a very long time. And at the end of this, we're going to talk more about the drought situation in California, but that system's now in the midsection of the country. And as it goes across, it's going to be hitting an area with severe weather starting in Texas today up to Iowa, but tomorrow it's going to hammer the Mid-South and the lower Mississippi River Valley. Now, the map I'm drawing on here is some important research that was published in the journal Nature by a good friend of mine named Victor Gassini. He's out of Northern Illinois University who looked back from 1979 to present and found that Tornado Alley, and the frequency of tornadic thunderstorm events is shifting, is shifting east and primarily setting up on the Ohio River Valley, the Mississippi River Valley, and hitting the Mid-South harder. And that's what we're going to see. Notice this is the storm outlook for today on the 29th. 
This is on the 30th. So we've got another area. Remember, this was just hit a week ago. Got another area down here in parts of Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Arkansas. That's got a moderate risk. That is the second highest category of risk for this area. It all moves east by the time we get out to the 31st. And this is what's going to happen. This whole thing is going to just chase a bunch of people out of the fields. By tonight, getting into tomorrow morning through Wednesday, see the squall line to the south that rips through, shuts all this down. So we wanted to do planting in the lower Mississippi River Valley. Storm system after storm system has kind of shut that down. And that system moves very quickly toward the east. Notice the backside of it. Snow, strong winds, ice. I mean, this is a multi-hazard weather system that's coming through right now. We look at all of it, and this map just shows you where we should expect to see precipitation. And uh, some places are going to really pick up a whole lot of heavy rain, but not where we really want it, which is far back to the west. And week two continues to close down those windows for spring planting and spring field work across the eastern Corn Belt and the southeast. Here's the other problem with this. Actually. We got cold weather with it as well. Everywhere gray on this map, we're going to be seeing a temperature below freezing over the next seven days. So watch this. As that system rolls through, big warm-up. See it here in the eastern Corn Belt? Followed by major cool down. And these temperatures, these are high temperatures, several degrees below average going into the first week of April. Now, there's some better news longer term. And that is that maybe once we get past this next system, more normal temperatures are expected to return, but I think we're still going to see a few cool shots in the eastern Corn Belt, which means that we're not yet out of the woods with respect to our last frosts at this point. Remember, I'm from Illinois, so I'll just give you an Illinois statistic right here. We still typically have uh, another about 18 days to go before we have our last frost in central Illinois. So that's where we currently sit, and it's an active week ahead. Well, Eric, before we continue on talking about weather, let's take a quick pause to hear from today's sponsor. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there on that grasshopper mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mo Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. I want to go back to what you said about um, Tornado Alley and how it's kind of expanding east. I'm very interested in that just because I am from Tornado Alley myself. And growing up, we experienced a whole lot of severe weather, a whole lot of tornadoes and things of that nature. And I feel like that has kind of decreased as um, I've grown older and as time has gone on. So what is making Tornado Alley kind of expand east? I feel like here lately, especially in parts of Kentucky, Tennessee, we've been seeing a lot of severe weather, especially tornadoes. So can you kind of clue us in on what might be happening there? Yeah. And if I remember right, Ashton, you're from Texas. Is that right? I am. Yes. I live in Lubbock currently, but I'm from the suburbs of Dallas. Got it. Now, when you look at this map, it looks as though like, wow, Texas has really had a major decrease. There's been some decrease. 
But Texas still leads the country in terms of tornado count. So don't worry, you're still number one when it comes to that. <laughs> What's going on here is that we're seeing just more an increased frequency on the Mississippi River Valley. It has a lot to do with the way the jet stream sets up, which begins back in the Gulf of Alaska. So if you get a chance to read this paper, and it is readable, that's what's good about Victor's work is the public can read this paper and understand it. What we've seen here is we've seen a shift in the jet stream position, favoring better upper level, what we call divergence. That's a jet stream term that provides for the right upper level support to combine with the wind shear and the open gulf transport of moisture to give us more frequent severe weather in this area. Now, uh, it also helps that you can have tornadoes any time of the year in the south and southeast because of your proximity to the warm water in the Gulf of Mexico. So these are some of the issues that Victor studied and really discussed with the whole shifting east of this pattern. And I'll tell you what, since last December, it has felt like it's made a major shift east, right? We've had multiple severe weather outbreaks uh, here on the Mississippi Basin. Well, now that we're talking about severe weather, you know, entering the spring summer season, that's when a lot of folks do see some severe weather, but it's also when we're seeing continued drought. And I know that that's what you wanted to end on today, Eric. So why don't you take us there? Yeah. So if we look at the latest drought monitor, and again, this is a cumulative long-term statistic, we still see that about 70% of the land area of the country is in some form of drought. And the worst of it's anchored down here in the Southern and High Plains, getting back to Montana, and then really back into California. In fact, you look west, look at this map here. This shows you since the beginning of the year, precipitation ranks by climate district. So notice the Western Corn Belt into Montana, the Southern Plains, and Oregon, Idaho, Nevada, Utah, Arizona, and California, extremely dry conditions to start this year. You say, why? The flows not come from this direction. It's come from that direction. And the result is a whole different weather pattern based upon the mountains. So we've got drought that's expanding in those areas. And all the long-range forecasts want to keep it there. So, for example, if you look out from April 7th to May 7th, look where they keep things wet. East. They've got drier conditions still in the plains and drier conditions west. And the models are right now hung up on persistence. And what's causing them to keep that persistence is ocean temperatures. Our La Nina is fading, but it keeps giving us these kicks of stronger trade winds right here. That pushes the MJO back into this area. And that's where it's spent so much of its time since last December. And that is what's perpetuating the pattern across the United States. That's, that's one of the primary drivers. If I could tell anybody what to watch, keep an eye on these ocean temperatures here and off the Baja. If these get colder between now and June, the risk of Midwest drought really increases. If they warm, that drought risk goes west where there already is extensive drought. And that's going to be the number one thing that I'm going to be watching uh, from now all the way through this summer as to where that blocking high will set up. And most of the time, it's going to be the ocean temperatures that might give us a clue as to think about where it's going to go. Well, Eric, we certainly appreciate your time today. Definitely going to keep talking about the weather, keep hopefully talking to you as time goes on, especially this summer as we continue to watch this drought. Hopefully we can get some relief. But Eric, thanks again for chatting today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on. Well, Delaney, day three, we got through another great episode for our listeners. I'm looking forward to continuing on tomorrow. You got any big plans for the rest of the day? Uh, just hanging out with clients today, Tanner. So other than that, not too much. All right. We will 
be back with you again tomorrow, listeners. Delaney, what do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.